Welcome to the Baymaw Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we will be having our introductory conversation about the world of the Bible, investigating the differences between Eastern and Western perspectives. And I'm pretty excited about this. We're technically at episode zero, so we haven't really started the story yet, uh, but this is a pretty big deal. We're laying the foundation for all of our conversations in the years ahead. So, Marty, how different are these Eastern and Western worldviews? Is this is this really that big of a deal? It's a massive deal. Um, and, and there are some similarities. It's not like we're talking about two completely different dimensions here, but uh, this is a really big deal. Your Bible is... Um, it's not just full of information. I know in the world, the Western world that I was uh, raised in, the Bible was full of all of this information, information about how to live, information about how to get to heaven, information about, it was full of information and data. Um, but the Bible really isn't full of data in the way we think of it. The Bible is full of pictures and images, and that's foreign to the world that we're used to. So, um these these images that the Bible uses, it comes from a time and a culture that's really different than the culture that we're used to. Uh, and the writers of the Bible are not writing from our world. The writers of the Bible are Hebrew, and they're Eastern uh, in nature, and they're writing to Eastern audiences. This is a very Eastern conversation that we're eavesdropping in on when we read the Bible. Um, a lot of us, I think, were raised with this idea the Bible is written to me. The Bible was written to me. And, and yeah, in a lot of ways, on a lot of levels, like that's not inaccurate. But on a very technical level, it is because the Bible was not written uh, to you and I. The Bible was written to an, an ancient audience in an ancient context. And uh, so they're Eastern and most Christians in our culture are Greek or Western in their thought. Um, and we just think about the world in a much different way uh, than the people of the Bible do. Um, and what that means is that when we go to read the Bible, a lot of what it's doing is lost on our culture. And then as we try to explain it um, through a Western lens, uh, we even get more lost uh, and it even gets more messy. And uh, so one of the things that we're going to try to do right off the bat, and like you said, this is pretty foundational, is we're going to try to learn how to to think Hebrew. We're not going to become Hebrew. That's not the goal. Uh, it's not sinful to be Western. There's nothing wrong with being Greek in our mindset. Um, but we're going to try to remember that we're dealing with a Hebrew book, Hebrew authors, and a Hebrew audience. And we're going to learn how to ask some of those questions so that we can understand it and apply it into our Western world um, so much better. I had a teacher, my rabbi, explain it to me um, using a metaphor. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, you might maybe be in a room. And if you can imagine uh, being in this room and pick a window, hopefully you're in a window with uh, a room with windows. Um, that would be, uh, if not, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> we have no windows here, Marty. I'm uh, sorry. We actually have no windows where we're at. But if you can imagine, if you have to, a room with windows. And imagine standing outside of this room. You're not allowed to go in. Um, you can't go into the room, but you can look into the room. And for 20 years, you have stood outside the same window to this room uh, for 20 years. And now imagine the, the things that you would see. Now, I'll ask you, Brent, is the perspective that you have looking through that window inaccurate? Not at all. It's a completely accurate perspective, isn't it? 
Absolutely. The Completely you, accurate. Yeah, the things that you see uh, there, it's an accurate perspective. But imagine if somebody were to take you by the hand around the corner to another side of the room, to the other side of the building, and now you get to look into that same room from a new window. Uh, do you think you'd see anything unique, Brent? I would see probably a lot of stuff I've never seen before. Exactly. Just by simply changing your perspective. I, a lot of times when we'll do this, there'll be things like a, a garbage can. You can't even see in the room if you were standing at one window. You wouldn't even, even have known it was even there. A clock on the wall, a fire extinguisher hanging there that you don't even know unless you see the room from another perspective. And I think that's my rabbi tried to teach me. Um, that's what's happening when we look at the scriptures through an Eastern perspective. We start to see things we didn't even realize were there, but I've taken his illustration and I've adjusted it somewhat. Uh, somewhat. I think it's even, it's even greater than that. Um, one of the things that I love uh, to do, I did in college, was I, I majored in music and um, studied music and, and composition. And I took this, a lot of people are familiar with a piano at least have a basic understanding of piano. Now, if you play piano uh, in the left hand predominantly, um, what are you playing in the left hand, Brent? Bass notes. Cor- yeah, these these structural bass chord, like the underneath, you're setting this foundation, this bass foundation. And then the right hand, you're playing more of your... Rhythm and melodies. Right. So I, I always have an image, like if you, if you can imagine somebody playing... Uh, I don't know. Old MacDonald had a farm. But imagine they're playing it only in the left hand. Do we even recognize, I don't even think we recognize, unless we really are good, like really good at really picking up the nuances of whatever is taking place. I don't think we even recognize the song. Um, if we play Mer- uh, Old MacDonald Had a Farm in the right hand, of course we uh, recognize the song. Of course we do. Um, but if we put the two hands together, get a much better uh, rendition of the of the music. Now, I feel like that's what happens with Western and Eastern. If we approach the scriptures only through a Western lens, I feel like what we're doing is we're, we're just playing the song in the left hand. I'm not even sure if we even recognize the music as God wrote it. Um, now, if all we do is play the, play the song in the right hand, we probably recognize the song, but we're missing something. Uh, and we probably don't even realize it. So when you put the Eastern and the Western together, you get this beautiful song. But I don't think it's it's just half and half. I do think it's actually more important if we're going to interpret the scripture correctly. Uh, it's actually more important to realize that we have to do a lot of work to understand that Eastern perspective. So hopefully those illustrations are helpful to people. Yeah, and I know you already covered this uh, just a few minutes ago, but I just want to reiterate because I know this has been a struggle for me 
going through this over the years is I feel like after we get through all of this material, I feel like I should become Eastern or I should become a Jew or however you want to look at it. And you said that's not really the point. Yeah, not at all. Um, we want to remember that God has, oh, and this will make a whole lot more sense like a year or two into the study. Um, but God has definitely been wanting to work through uh, all nations and speak to all nations um, and and to, um, to be able to appreciate what your Western perspective brings. Uh, I had another rabbi one time talk about uh, dissecting a frog. And there's something that the, the Western perspective brings to the table. You know, without the Western perspective, we would never have advancements in technology and medicine. And, and a Westerner is going to take a frog and they're going to dissect the frog and they're going to be able to tell you how the heart works and how the frog, the respiratory system, and they're going to be able to tell you all these incredible things the Eastern perspective could have never done. And your Western perspective allows you to do things, even with the Bible, that are phenomenal. And I think of things like mysticism and other pieces of our Christian traditions that have just enlightened so much about our walk with Jesus. And uh, this rabbi I was telling the story about the frog said an Eastern perspective walks into the room and looks at the frog and says, what was the frog's name? Did the frog have a girlfriend? Uh, and of course the Westerner says, what, what do you mean? But I know how the heart works and I know how the you know, how the nervous system operates and, and, but the Eastern perspective wants to get to know the frog. And so just each perspective brings something new to the table. And yet each perspective is needed if we're ever going to do the things that God has called us to. I think we're actually going to run into this pretty early when we study the Tower of Babel. Um, I think it's going to come up pretty quickly in our study, this idea. So it's not horrible. We can't be Eastern. Um, we can't even me, uh, as a Jew, uh, I'm still Western. I was raised in a Western culture. I'm as Western as it gets. Um, as much as I wish I were Eastern, I'm not. And uh, that's not the goal to change who I am. The goal is to understand the Bible so that I can apply the Bible to who I am and the world I live in. And that's that's what's important. So yeah, it might be a couple of years, but if you're feeling inadequate or that you're in the wrong place or that you don't have anything to offer, give it a couple of years. We'll bring it back around. Just a couple. Uh, but we do have a lot to cover with this Eastern perspective uh, that we're not familiar with at all because it's simply not our culture. Uh, so we have uh, a slideshow that we'll have in the show notes. Uh, you can find that at BaymaDiscipleship.com or in your podcast app of choice if you're listening that way. Uh, so Marty, why don't you walk us uh, through that? Let's start specifically with uh, the way that we think about things. Yeah, so I want to put these two worldviews next to each other so we can appreciate the differences. So uh, if we start with way of thinking, um, I want to start with words and how a Greek and uh, a Hebrew thinker see words differently. For the Western thought, for the Greek thinker, which would be the world that you and I are used to, um, we use words to express truth um, and we use definitions. We prefer prose and outlines and lists and bullet points. Uh, and if you don't believe me, just look at the presentation when you download it. It is this wonderful PowerPoint with sections and bullet points and definitions and subtitles. That is how we use words. We use words to communicate 
uh, truth in, in prose and definitions. But a, a Hebrew thinker, an Eastern thinker, uses words to express truth in picture and in story. Uh, so an Eastern thinker does not use definitions. An Eastern thinker prefers poetry and imagery and symbolism. And one of the ways I think you see this is if a Westerner, if you, if you ask a Westerner, like, what are the attributes of God or what is God like? They're going to say things like omniscient and omnipresent and sovereign and loving. Each one of these things is a word that comes with a definition that you have to understand in order to have that conversation. Ask an Easterner, what is God like? And an Easterner is going to say, God is a fortress. God is, God is eagle's wings. And it still has all kinds of meaning packed into it, but for, from a completely different place. It's a picture a poetic image that's meant to communicate. God is a fortress. How That communicates things that we could talk about for the next 10 minutes. Uh, God is a fortress. Um, but it's not a definition, and it's not prose. So the other thing I think we could talk about um, if we were to move on next would be the numbers. And you think to yourself, like, how, how in the world can numbers be different? Like, numbers are the, pretty much like the most straightforward thing we have. Um, a Greek, like you and me, uh, we think of numbers primarily as quantity. And if this is the first time you've ever run into this conversation, you're probably thinking, how else can you view a number? That's like the definition of a number as quantity. Um, but an Easterner doesn't see quantity. An Easterner sees quality and symbol. One of the ways that this comes out uh, in their world is when they go to schooling and they go uh, to take part in their education where we would just learn math, we would learn five plus two equals seven. Uh, for them, it's books of Moses plus tablets of Moses equals days of creation. Is literally how in Orthodox circles, uh, especially in history, they have learned. When they see five apples sitting on a table, uh, they immediately think Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Because numbers and quantity isn't just quantity, it's symbolic of something else because their world is driven by pictures. And that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we can't think of numbers in any other way, right? No, not at all. In fact, you can actually overdo this quite a bit, but numbers will be one of the things we run into very, very early in our study. In fact, starting next week, we're going to run into numbers. Um, and once you kind of start to understand how a Hebrew sees numbers, a lot of people start to overdo it. They start to really see numbers everywhere and over-apply allegorically uh, numbers. But it's something you just kind of get used to how an Easterner uses numbers. And there's always a conversation to be had there. But yes, numbers are still also numbers in the Bible too. And we don't want to take away from that. But we want to learn to ask a different set of questions when it comes to the number. And there's really not that many numbers uh, that have this qualitative meaning and I assume we'll get to those at some future point. But once you learn them, like, it's a lot of fun. Right. Absolutely. Like a whole nother world kind of opens up. And you're right. It's not every single number you ever find everywhere. There's a list of biblical numbers. Now, if you get into some more mystical strains, like um, if you were to look at Kabbalah or different things like that, they're definitely going to do even more with numbers than we'll do in our study. But uh, yeah, you're right. Once you start to learn what these numbers mean... Um, becomes a part of the questions that you ask. 
So moving on, there's um, our, our next section is on life. Like how how does the Eastern thinker think about life? One of the first things I love to talk about is eternal life. Um, they think about eternal life as something completely different uh, for the Westerner, for the Greek thinker. Um, eternal life is something detached from this world. Um, it's something that starts when this world is over. When I die, eternal life begins for a Westerner. I just had an email this week come in from somebody that was asking me about eternal life, and I kept talking about eternal life in a present tense, and they kept trying to make it compute in a future tense. Um, they kept talking about, so when I die, you're saying that I could, I'm going to go X, Y, and Z to this destination or that destination. Uh, and for an Easterner, eternal life is in this world and every world that could possibly exist um, anywhere. Eternal life is a, is a quality of life, not a quantity of life. It's life lived in harmony with God in whatever world you could find yourself in, in whatever dimension anywhere, whenever you're living in harmony with God, you have eternal life. The word in the Hebrew is actually olam hava, uh, or in Greek, Aeon Zoe, and both in Hebrew and in Greek, these are qualitative terms. Um, they are not quantitative. They are definitely qualitative terms. And what that means is that it's not about a linear life. It's about a kind of life um, that we're experiencing, a kind of life that goes on forever, the kind of life that always has been and always will be because it's true. Uh, and that's just a different way to think about think about life. Um, the other way that they, uh, when it comes to life uh, is the way that they interact with the community versus the individual. For the Greek, uh, you focus on the individual. Life is about me. Uh, it's about me and my experience. Um, sometime pay attention to our worship music, which is getting better at this, by the way. Um, it's not quite as bad as it used to be in like the early two thousands and the nineties, but Every worship song was about me and Jesus and Jesus and me and me and God and God and I and I worship you and it's, it was so individualistic. And yet the Hebrew has a sense of community. Um, so if you were to talk to a Greek about sin, a Greek would immediately start thinking about their own sins as an individual. But if you ask a, an Easterner, uh, a Hebrew thinker from the Bible about sin, um, there's a really good chance they're going to focus on the community and start with all the ways that they, as a community, have sinned. Because when you read the Bible, this is what the scriptures keep um, harping on, is they as a people, not as individuals, they as a people have dropped the ball. Um, then there's there's error and sin. This is always fun. Uh, how do we think about sin that's different um, in the Greek and the Hebrew. The, for the Western thinker, sin is about wrong belief or incorrect thinking. It emphasizes what a person knows. When you're thinking about error, if you're thinking about something as an error, you're thinking about wrong belief or incorrect thinking. You're thinking about what you know. For the Easterner, uh, error and sin is about wrong behavior and emphasizes what a person does. So uh, one of the places we go whenever we take students over to Israel is we stop at a shop in Jerusalem, Shurashim shop, and it's run by a guy by the name of Moshe. And whenever Moshe talks about sin, he says, uh, for you Western Christians, uh, sin is something that's in you that you've got to get rid of. Um, for us, sin is something that I do. 
So how do I get rid of sin? I just stop doing it. And it's just interesting to see the two worlds collide there in the way that we view sin and what it is and how it, and how it's dealt with. Moving along, we want to cover the difference in the thinking of, of God himself, um, who God is, how we talk about him. Yeah. So, uh, for, for God, we could start with existence, uh, is what we're going to find on our, on, on your document there. And for an, for a Greek thinker, they're often trying to prove the existence of God. But what's so difficult about that when you read the Bible is the Bible is never interested in proving the existence of God because the Bible is Eastern and Eastern people don't ask that question. Uh, Eastern, the Eastern worldview assumes the existence of God. Is that still true today? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And, and a lot of times language gets in our way because of what God, what people mean when they say God and who or what they're talking about. So a lot of times the language will change, but the Eastern, because the Eastern is all about picture and experience, it assumes something bigger. It assumes the divine. It assumes, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, this higher power. It assumes a God character and the and the transcendent would actually be a great way of putting it for Easterners. Um, whereas the Westerner, because we're so scientifically based and definition oriented, we're trying to prove the existence of whatever we mean when we say God. And for the Easterner, it just is something totally different. Um, when it comes to how we describe God, we kind of focused on this earlier, but um, the Greek is focused on the nature of the being what or who is this God? You know, what is he like? Who is he? Versus the Easterner is focused on the nature of the relationship. And again, that's just the Western perspective and how we like to take everything and make it abstract. That's just this platonic approach to the world where we take everything and we, we make it abstract and we hold it away from us and we examine it scientifically. Versus the Easterner wants to experience the thing and make it concrete. Uh, so the Easterner is going to talk about God and describe God and how, how this God relates. So if you were to take Genesis 1, which we were to talk, we're going to talk about that next week. But if you were to take Genesis 1, we love to focus on how creation happened, what happened, how it happened, and the science behind it. But the Easterner is much more interested in how God related with creation. So an Easterner is going to talk about the power of word because God spoke creation into existence. That's how God related in the story. Um, not the how, but the how did God interact with the story and how did we experience the divine? Um, so that would be an example of that. And then there comes to conversation about faith. For the Greek, faith is intellectual. Uh, we often talk about assent, mental assent. Uh, for for the Westerner, faith is about creeds and doctrines and belief statements. Uh, for the Westerner, we love to proof text to support our belief. Just jump on almost any church's website. And this is starting to change a little bit today, but jump on a church's website. You'll probably find a tab that talks about their belief statement. You'll probably click into that belief statement, and next to every statement, it's going to have a few proof texts a few verses you can look up to prove why that belief is true. It's just how we interact with faith. Wherefore, the Hebrew, faith is relational. 
Um, they're not going to try to define what that looks like because they have experiences with God. Um, they have experiences of and with God, and they're not going to try to explain how that happened. They're going to try to communicate what they experienced. And so you read a story about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and there's no, there's no like addendum at the end of the story where they try to resolve all. They're just trying to communicate what Abraham experienced on that mountain. They're not trying to make sense of it. They're not giving you a blog post with three points that all start with the letter R. They're, they're just trying to tell the story because somewhere in that story, Abraham found a, a, a part of who God was. So some of the pushback that I think we might hear on that when you talk about proof texts, are you saying that all of those scriptures that are listed have nothing to do with the belief Not at all. Although proof texting is always problematic because you're pulling the small verse out of a much larger context every single time. With the exception of maybe Proverbs, you can never take one verse and lift it right out of a... uh, We do that very rarely in Bema. We might quote a verse assuming it's context, but we're going to try to stay away from proof texting because take you know take a an idea that we usually have like a romans and we talk about you know the wages of sin is death and we just kind of lift that as a proof text well wait a minute that that verse comes in the midst of a huge conversation of the entire letter of romans but even more particularly what paul's doing in romans chapter 6 what is that conversation where is that verse land in its larger context so those verses might have a lot to say about the thing that we're quoting them for they might have nothing to say about the thing we're quoting them for. But the idea of proof texting, because if I just link up, that's just a Western approach to scripture where an Easterner is going to say, you can't do that. You've got to hear the whole story. You got to hear that verse in its entire context. You got to read the whole letter from Paul if you want to understand that verse correctly. Um, but we just interact with the, the biblical text differently. So that seems like a great transition into our next section on truth. Uh, what ultimate truth is, how truth, um, how truth, how we come to learn truth over time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the Greek, truth is rational and scientific. Uh, truth is something that you can rationally and logically think about and test with a scientific method. Uh, for a Westerner, the focus in scripture is on how it was done. So again, in Genesis 1, us Westerners want to know how creation happened. Was it seven literal days? Was it seven billion years? Was it 14.6? We want to know how it was done. Um, And for us, when it comes to truth, belief uh, comes as one thinks through validation. So once you can validate an idea as true, it can now be truth because you have tested it and tried it and now it's true. But for the Hebrew, truth is religious and experiential. So the focus is in Scripture is not on how it was done. It's on what was done and who did it. And again, if you're, if you're not focused on doctrine, but instead you're focused on story, uh, how is not going to be your driving question. If you're focused on story, what you want to know is what happened. Tell me the story. What happened and who was involved in the story? Um, and then, and then for, for the Easterner belief comes through the experience. So something becomes true because I know it to be true because I experienced it. In fact, this comes through in one of the Hebrew words for no, 
One of the Hebrew words for know is the word yada. And yada is the same word that gets used when the scriptures say that Adam yada Eve and she conceived. It's used for sexual intercourse. Um, that That is their understanding of knowing. Knowing is something you intimately experience, not something you learn. It's not the transfer of data. It's an experience that is had. And that changes uh, truth quite a bit. Um, which this, again, I think you would say starts to make a lot of us Westerners, especially if we've been raised in the church, and have been told over and over again not to give in to relativism. Uh, there's there's something that kind of fires up in us, and and it comes to light here. If we were to talk about truth over time, this I find I find this to be helpful in that conversation about what we call as quote unquote relativism. Um, for the Westerner, truth is static and unchanging. So for the Westerner, truth is absolute. Um. And if we ever find out that the truth is wrong, we have to then move it to a new location and redefine it because truth is static and unchanging. But for the Easterner, truth is dynamic. Truth is unfolding over time. That does not mean truth is relative. That, That is a false dilemma. Uh, that is a fallacy of logic that we pose. It's either absolute or it's relative. Uh, for the Easterner, truth is unfolding. What that means is, is that truth had, it's rooted in something. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's growing. It's going places. It, it's rooted somewhere. And that point never moves. But as time continues to move forward, we learn more and more and more about this truth. And it, I always have this mental image of this kind of this this digital box that just kind of keeps flopping open and going in all these different places over time because this truth just grows. It's dynamic. It's rooted somewhere, but it's also going somewhere. And that's not relative because it's rooted in something solid, but it's dynamic. It's not static. And you see this when you look at church history, because Judaism has managed to somehow um, keep one dynamic conversation over time and not splinter until much later um, in their history, they were able to stay together as essentially one group in the conversation. Whereas in the Greek world, every time somebody disagrees, we have to start a new movement, write a new creed, adjust the belief statement because of our understanding of truth. There's no room in our Western worldview for, for us to learn something new. And so we've had crazy beliefs throughout the history of the church. Uh, We thought the church was, uh, not the church, excuse me. We thought planet earth was the center of the galaxy for a long time, that everything revolved around the earth. Oopsie daisy. (laughs) But instead of having room when, when Galileo and Copernicus team up to teach us something new, instead of having the room to let truth unfold, we have to pick truth up, move it to a new location and redefine it. Well, and you say there was no room for a different truth. Like they said, you're a heretic, we're going to kill you. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It's just so problematic. Um, but anyway, that those are just some ideas. And there's 
there's probably a lot there. Um, but there you have it. Yeah. And for a lot of people, this is a pretty major culture shock. Eastern versus yeah. Western is, is a huge deal. It's difficult to understand for someone who's spent probably decades at this point in a Western culture. And like, we're not taught Eastern culture in our schools. It, it's not like, Hey, here's the, here's the two different things, you know, you should know about both of them. Like we are just fully immersed Western culture. So how do you get over this, this hump? Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I want to say about that. And maybe even more as I continue to think about it. Um, n- number one, you know, you, you, you just phrased your question. How do you get over this hump? Just, just stay at it. Every student that I've had come through this study, uh, hits a point where there's kind of a, a panic moment. Uh, like you're, you're kind of doing the, you can balance it. You can take these new ideas, you can fit them somewhere. And eventually it just gets, you're trying to hang on to this old worldview, this old wineskin, and you're trying to pour new wine into this old wineskin and it just doesn't work. And at some point it bursts for some, it bursts much earlier in, in this process than others. Um, just keep at it. Very rarely have I had people give up. But almost always pushing through that initial shock of, oh my goodness, there's so much that I don't know. And everything I've taught wasn't the end of the conversation. It was only the beginning. Um, Just keep pushing through that. And we'll talk more about that uh, in class. But Which, I'm kind of getting these out of order, but actually... I want to reiterate again on this recording. We've talked about it in class already. Um, and I, we talked about it in our pilot episode as well. Uh, but this this whole study is about that wrestling match that you bring up, Brent. This whole study is about um, we're going to create a safe place for us to ask questions. We're going to create a safe place for us to learn new things. Um, it's not going to be about getting all the answers right. It's going to be about learning how to have a different conversation. And so this isn't about getting all of our doctrine fixed. It's not about fixing all the things that are wrong or learning a certain amount of data. And now all of a sudden everything's going to be fine. This is about learning how to wrestle and to be fine with the tension and to have enough humility to know we don't know everything. And that's actually liberating. It's not frustrating. So I really want to make sure that we preserve within our study. And for those of you that aren't a part of our discussion groups and you listen to this from somewhere else, um, make sure you create a place where it's safe to ask the questions and to wrestle and to have, <laughs> have your own biblical meltdowns as you get frustrated over learning new things. Uh, that It's okay. It's okay. And we got to preserve that. But... There's a story I'll close with. Um, it's not really a story. It's one of the first lessons that you learn uh, when, if you're in a rabbinical study program, if you're a little kid in Orthodox Jewish schooling, uh, the rabbis have this lesson they often teach at the beginning. And they'll, they'll go to all these young students in class and they'll say, begin quoting the scripture. So I'll pass this to you, Brent. Begin quoting the Bible, book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created... Stop. Stop. Okay. Go ahead and start over again. In the beginning, God created... No, stop. Stop. Okay. Go ahead. One more time, Brent. In the beginning, God... Stop. 
And the rabbi will stop every student right after they say, in the beginning, God. And the rabbi will look around at all the students and he will say, in the beginning, God. If we remember these things, the study of Torah will go well with each and every one of us. So even though there are so many things that are super overwhelming as we start to learn about a whole new worldview that wrote the Bible and read the Bible, if we will remember, as the rabbi says, that in the beginning, God, it's a pretty good place to begin. Uh, So I just pass that on to uh, all of us wrestling and learning, and I hope we just stick with it and keep learning uh, because this is the beginning of a really really, really good journey, I think. And that reminds me of a story you've told. I don't know if it's really a story, but just the posture of uh, an Eastern thinker when they come upon an element of scripture that they don't understand, they, they dance because they're so excited that there's something that God is going to use in their life later on. And they don't understand it now, but they're excited for the day that God reveals it to them. Right. And for us, again, as Westerners, we get frustrated and we think, oh, there's so much I don't know. But the Easterner says, I can't wait for the day that God's going to show me what this is about. And uh, what, a, what a more liberating posture than to think I have to have it all figured out, than to celebrate and think one day, maybe God will teach me and that will be a good day. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Thinking that I don't have to have it figured out. Because that's what we're told all our life. You have to go through, you got to figure everything out. You got to know, you got to know before you can do anything. Yep. So very liberating. I like it. Uh, that wraps it up for this show. If you live on the Palouse, we hope you join us for our discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. And you can find me on Twitter at EIBCB. And thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.